Well, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go on an overnight drunk, and in 10 days, I'm gonna set out to find the shark that ate my friend and destroy it. Anyone that would care to join me is more than welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the film room. Hello. Boy, this is going to be a different kind of cast for us. Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever done this before, where we've done a full cast on a movie we disagree on. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we're in this position where we really strongly disagree on this movie. Yeah. Let's talk about why it is that we haven't before, because there's a reason. Yeah. One of the central reasons that we started this cast was that our tastes are pretty similar. That's true. I mean, we pretty much have the same style taste of movies, and that's just how it goes. Yeah, whenever you see a movie and you recommend it to me, you always say, well, you might not like it, but we'll see how it goes. So it's like, well, in my mind, I always say, well, if you like it, then there's a good chance that I'm going to like it too. <laughs> and of course, I usually do. Usually does. I mean, it, there are exceptions, but... Boy, this is a hell of an exception. Um, <laughs> had had you not seen this movie before? No, this? no, I had not seen it. I, I hadn't seen it. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I'm going to get into why that's an interesting fact uh, when we do it, because let's just get out of the way. We're talking about The Life Aquatic with, by, with Steve Zissou. Um, yes. Wes Anderson's 2004 highly divisive film. Very, let's yeah. Let's get that out of the way. It's not technically the first Wes Anderson film I've seen. But it's the first one where I was aware of him. Yeah. And and it was my gateway. Yeah, for me it was, uh, it was. Well, I was going to say Royal Tenenbaums, but really it was uh, Rushmore. Because I watched Rushmore yeah. on video. Uh, after it had such great buzz. Um, I'm, I might as well get this out of the way. I don't like Wes Anderson very much at all. I really don't. <laughs> Which surprises me. There's a good reason. There's a good reason. And it's really kind of the core of why I didn't like this film. But I, I don't like Anderson because his films feel very phony to me. They feel artificial. They're they're not quite right. There's something off about them. And the thing is, Anderson makes movies that people love that about. They love that his movies seem artificial, that they seem Yo. quirky. <laughs> that They're his that's own me. world. And that's you. And that's the, th the thing is, I can't stand that. Um, I, I love Royal Tenenbaums. I will say that. I do love that movie. Because I feel like there's an element of truth that really comes through through the quirk. 
there's a lot of real pain in that movie. There's a lot of real sadness. At the end of the movie, things are not fixed. Nobody in that movie, their their lives are not okay. Yeah. I like that about that movie. I think it has... Uh, I think part of the secret to it, though, was casting Gene Hackman uh, in the title role. You, you don't see Gene Hackman putting up with a lot of crap. Well, you know, he bitched his way through that movie. Like, it's a mystery why he took the role, because he was such an asshole throughout it. So much so that in order to deal with him, Wes hired Bill Murray to just be on set every day. Uh, and wow. Bill Murray Bill Murray uh, was the only person that wasn't intimidated by him. That makes sense. Murray's the right bastard, so... Yeah, so he just kind of counteracted his bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is... I can believe Hackman and Anderson did not get along at all. No, um, no. I will say, another thing that I really like about that movie, I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow, one of her best performances. I think yeah. there's a lot of good there. That said, to me, the Royal Tenenbaums felt like it was a step forward. I have not seen that step. And I haven't seen the Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel. If I had seen that, I might have a different response. And I haven't seen Moonrise Kingdom either. Which... Amanda liked, and she doesn't even like his films. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Vanessa Mr. Fox? Yes, yes. That I that I actually saw in the theater because I'm a big Roald Dahl fan. Yeah, yeah. I like it, but I feel like a lot of my issues with Anderson are still there. They're just kind of neatly dealt with in the fact that it is a completely artificial movie, right? Um, because it's animation, and that's the nature of it. Like, yeah, especially like, stop motion that works. It doesn't work. I don't know. I'm I'm trying not to get ahead of my thoughts on this movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have thoughts though, because um, I watched it yesterday for the first time. I want to. I said that it's interesting that I didn't see it in 2004. Let me explain why that's interesting. I was going to the movies once or twice a week in 2004. That was my sophomore year of college. I didn't have anything else to do, so I went to the movies nonstop. I saw so many movies. I saw I Heart Huckabees at that point. That should I'm tell you so how many movies sorry. I saw. We're going to be covering that one at some point. We have to come back to that. We one, have to, you know? yeah. But I'm so sorry you had to endure that in a the theater. Oh my god. I thought it was going to be good. I thought it was going to be good. You go back and watch that trailer. That trailer Ugh. lies to you. Yeah. That is the most lying trailer I can remember. Um, <laughs> it that movie, and it's all because of the music that it uses. Uh, it uses that wonderful John Bryan score, which is in the movie. But, but it tells you, but it sets a tone that the movie is not, in fact. I don't know, you know what, in fact, my, my problems with that movie are pretty much similar to my problems with this one. I'm just going to say that. Um, this, but as I said, I, I didn't see this one, and that was because I was scared off by the buzz. The buzz was pretty toxic on this movie. Um, it did not get very good reviews. It has a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm pretty sure. Really? The Life Aquatic? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me check. I must, yeah, I must check this out. Because I'm not sure. Yeah, I want to see. Um, no, not IMDb. I don't care what IMDb thinks about this movie. <laughs> I don't trust their scores at all. Let's see, I'm pulling it up. Yeah, 56%. Really? So, borderline negative, let's be clear. Yeah, 56 is under the divisive tag. I would put that divisive. i say anything from 59 to 50 is divisive. And then beyond that. But but I'm telling you, the people that did not like this movie did not like this movie. And the people that loved this yeah. movie love this movie. I will say, uh, my first 
the first negative review I saw this movie is uh, heard of this movie is from somebody I really respect. Uh, uh, Todd Norris, my first uh, film professor. Hi, Todd, if you're listening. Like, we were talking about it, and it's like, yeah, I really hated this movie. And, like, to to put into context how much I respect him, uh, whenever I made a film in college, I would secretly have a Todd Norris test. If Todd liked my film, then it was good. I mean, people's opinions mattered, but uh, uh, his was secretly the only one that really mattered. So that's how much I respect his opinion on film, and he did not like it. And it's like, oh, well, that's too bad. But but yeah, except for the one one moment which we will talk about, <laughs> one moment at the end. But yeah, and recently, and what prompted this cast is my friend Zach and his wife watched it. They turned it off. I think their reasons might have been different because you know it's like you know Wes Anderson's films are comedies, but if you go in like expecting like a typical comedy then you might not like Wes Anderson's films. Like, his like his, his comedy is very, like, extremely dry. It is. Yeah, like, his movies are extremely dry. And, you know, it's that's something I, I kind of personally appreciate. Becca's ex-wife just uh, turned to me and said, this, this is supposed to be a comedy, right? And, yeah, she's like, it wasn't funny at all. We only made it 20 minutes in before we turned it off. I had no rebuttal just because I was uh, kind of, like, in the moment uh, taken aback. And I got uh, on the horn with you and said, I I feel like we have to do an episode on this. I want to defend this movie. And you ended up not liking it. So it's like, I guess I really have to defend it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So... So the way that I want to structure this cast is I want you to make your defense for it and then I'll explain what I don't like about it. And I'll explain why I didn't like it. But we're going to put, we're going to go by reverse trial rules and you're going to make your case for first. All right. Um so yeah, why I like this movie? It's hard to describe. I don't know. I I do like like the the artifice of it, like the sets, the you know, it just feels like a little like especially the ship set like, they kind of have one big set for it that they move the camera around. And uh, I thought that gave it a neat effect. And kind of and gave it kind of an energy to just continuously move throughout this ship. And, of course, I I think it's it's hilarious. Like, there are a lot of uh, one-liners that I quote, including, uh, like, a lot of Willem Dafoe's lines. I understand what you're saying, but I think you misjudged the guy. And... He closes the door and then you see his head pop up. That's that to me is funny. Just just the timing of it and just you know, especially from a filmmaking standpoint, like they're making films in the in the film. Uh like just the way he conducts everything, like the film comes first, is also really funny to me. It just shows the way that he has and also I love the way that they portray the degradation of his works, like how it's become, how it used to be, like. Fire! Hold it! Is that a distress bark? Is something wounded out there? We quickly locate the source of the mysterious cry. What is she, Steve? A wild snow mongoose. We thought they were extinct. Her ankle's broken. Oh, God, uh, yeah. We're gonna get some hot milk and put these guys in the incubator. 
We radio for the emergency transport of our rare, beautiful new friends. That's what it used to be like. Now, uh, he's so involved in, like, uh, ironically enough, he's so involved with the artifice of it that his films have become sort of, like, by popular opinion, staged. Um, and, uh, you know, that, you know, I don't know, and that ties into his thing with, uh, with Ned and... Obviously, full spoilers are on for this. Uh, we can't, we can't yes. not. Yeah, the movie's been out for, for yeah a decade, over a decade. The movie's been out for thirteen. Yeah, years. so yeah, it's fair game. But anyway, yeah, and that ties into his you know uh, relationship with Ned uh, Owen Wilson and uh, like how you know they kind of have a father son thing, but not really. Like it's an uneasy like he had a relationship with her mother years back. And he's kind of treating that the same way. It's like, oh, well, I don't think you should call me dad. Maybe Papa Steve. Like, okay. And eventually, you know, all that kind of falls away. Uh, and there's, you know, something genuine there. But yeah, of course, you find out definitively that he's not his son. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. And of course, I love the score. The You know, I listen to the score often. And the... Uh, uh, the David Bowie soundtrack and the the covers that uh, I can't pronounce his name for life of me, but yeah, he uh, he transcribes those like those are all him. They're very good. They are very good. They are. Yeah, uh, he translates Bowie songs into Portuguese uh, and plays them on guitar on set. And uh, the the relationship between the Jeff Goldblum character and Bill Murray's character is also great uh and bud court's character the as the insurance adjuster uh that has to or the insurance guy that has to monitor them to make sure they're following their instructions i hope you're not gonna bust our chops bill why would i do that because you're a bond company stooge (sighs) i'm also a human being all right i take that back yeah. Let's have some teamsmanship. Oh! Bug Court will be eternally 14 to me. Like, it feels like, uh, because of Harold the Mod, it feels like he is 14 but in heavy age makeup. When in fact, it's actually just him. <laughs> yeah. He always has that weird element about him. Uh,. Of course, I have mixed feelings about Harold and Maude. I think it's okay. Yeah, I like I like Harold. I think it's funny. Uh, it's I like it more than this. I'll put it that way. I, I like it quite a bit more than this. Understood. I love I love Cat Stevens, so that enters into it a lot. And that yeah, yeah I do too. Yeah, so. I think the sexual relationship aspect is kind of gross, but <laughs> that's beside the point. But also strangely plausible, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Ruth Gordon really brought a lot of energy to that she movie. She did. She did. And there's the hint that she's a... No, not the hint. The overall... The outright, like, bomb they drop in there that she's a Holocaust survivor. And that kind of informs the way she is. But anyway, that's another movie. That's one we may get to. It's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, the relationship between uh, Bill, Murray, Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum and how... 
Jeff hogs all the grant money. They make it pretty clear that he's a much better Yeah, that he's much better scientist. at his job, yeah. And, which is why. Um, Though I kind of have trouble believing that the idea is that, he, that, is that Murray is the better showman. I kind of have trouble believing that. Because it's it's Jeff Goldblum. Right. No, I agree with that. I agree with that point. It, it's like, it's swarthy, uh, womanizing Jeff Goldblum. That, no, no. He, Goldblum would be the much better showman in real life. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, I mean, for fuck's sake, they go onto his ship, and if I'm remembering right, he has, like, a couch on de- on his deck. Yeah. So, I mean... It's pretty ludicrous. Yeah. So, I mean, I think... But I think that's also part of the Steve Zissou, like, he thinks he's... Like, he, you know, thinks he's better than he actually is. Although, at the end, he wins that award. Um, and one of my favorite scenes is where they just go through one of his labs and uh, just steal everything. First, we go downstairs and turn on that tracking system. Then, as long as the batteries on that homing dart haven't gone down, we'll get... out. No one, we're trespassing. See if we're allowed in here. It's the scientific community, man. Captain, I am required by law to notify the bank of any illegal activities. Just do what you got to do to cover your ass, Bill. Then, of course, later when they rescue Jeff Goldblum, is this my espresso machine? What? What is? How, how did you get my espresso machine? Uh, we fucking stole it, man. Anyway, all these things are just funny to me. Um, uh, his relationship to his wife is interesting, how she she is the source of funds for his films, her and her parents specifically, and that whole relationship is interesting. There's a little hint of hi- uh, Zisu's history with women, and it's not a good one. I just wanted to say hello. Hi. Hey, baby. I said I wanted to say hello. I didn't say I wanted you to touch me. I'm here with my wife, Eleanor. This is Mendiza. Do Mendeza. you really want to put me through this? Which reflects heavily on his current marriage. You know, and of course, with the Kate Blanchett character. Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned that Kate Blanchett is probably one of the weakest parts of this film. I'm going to get into that. Uh, maybe, unfortunately, now that I'm reflecting on it, you could be right. Yeah, because that's the last thing I thought of. Uh, as for the plot, I mean, it's that that part of the plot is okay. Like it kind of underlines a point, but that's about it. Um, There's a lot of little things in this film that make it for me. That's uh, what I will say. Like I waited, I had it on DVD for for the longest time, and. They finally put, Criterion finally put out Blu-ray, so it's one of the few films I have upgraded from the DVD version. Uh, It takes liking a film a lot for me to do that. Anyway, it's all the little things added up that I like uh, about this film, and really about Wes Anderson in general. But, yeah, that's that's my case for the movie, like, for what makes it for me. So, uh, with that, dig away. You know, it's interesting you say little things, because that's kind of what drove me nuts about this movie, (laughs) is this movie sputters and sputters and sputters and sputters for two hours. This is, this is a two-hour movie, and it sputters for those two hours. Um, It doesn't have any particular propulsive momentum, and that's probably my big problem with this movie, is that 
I wasn't invested. I wanted to be invested. I just couldn't get invested because there's no propulsion. Um, and that's kind of my big issue with Anderson, maybe more than the quirk. I think the quirk is the surface thing that I latch on to, but that has its advantages in places. It's the lack of drive. You might like Grand Budapest uh, because it it is pretty tight and does have like that drive. I know that's a murder mystery, isn't it? Uh, sort of, kind of. Not so much a mystery as an adventure. Okay, adventure. I see. That's just it. I needed a sense that this was going to be an A to B to C plot, and I understand that movies aren't that way, but. But this movie, I kind of needed some connective tissue. The idea of this movie is that it's going to be about, well, they're going to get go out and film the shark that gets revenge and get revenge. Yeah, then they don't do it. Yeah. Then they don't do it. And that's the problem with this movie, is if it had ever gotten going on its plot, I might have liked it more. But it doesn't. It just kind of meanders up and till the end. The pirate sequence just absolutely drove me nuts because it goes nowhere really i mean it doesn't go nowhere it leads to them you know they discover that jeff goldblum has been kidnapped and his whole crew gets shot dead people die but this whole sequence it needs a director that understands what they're doing to go into an action sequence and instead of getting that we get nothing we get the they have to go out and rescue bud court Boy, there's a weird plot for a movie that was released by Disney. Can I point that out? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was Touchstone, wasn't it? This, this this was one of the movies that helped destroy Touchstone, to be honest. Really? Yeah, this movie kind of helped hasten the decision by Disney that... Ouch. They don't, they don't really... Yeah, because... They, they, I mean, it would take several years. It took about six, seven years after this for it to happen. But Michael Eisner left, and this was one of the movies that helped boot Michael Eisner out, because it lost money. There is that element that it, that it's like that whole pirate sequence, it goes nowhere, really. It's just sort of there so that Wes Anderson can make his heist movie. He <laughs> can make his action movie. Yeah. And God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. It's It's agonizing. It takes up so much time, and it's so quirky that's where the quirk bugs me is when you're using it to substitute actual emotions and interests you will you would not like moonrise kingdom then <laughs> probably not why not though i don't know i mean that i don't know but that's just you might maybe i mean it's the thing is that's about the thing is that's about kids that's allowed to be that way that's true uh, here's here's part of uh what clarified his style. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox helped, uh, doing Fantastic Mr. Fox helped him because... Get it out of your system. Yeah, he, he figured out that his movies are basically live-action cartoons. So when you when you watch Fantastic Mr. Fox, then you watch Grand Budapest Hotel, a lot of that carries over. And it's, and uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is over-the-top cartoony. And it's and it's hilarious. I know that the central I know the central actor uh, that one of the central actors in it is Ray Fiennes, of so course. I expect that <laughs> Fiennes does that so well. Um, That's why he's Voldemort. Yeah, this movie is just again the plot goes nowhere, and really even at the start I wasn't invested at the start. That's kind of the problem. Is this movie? It keeps its distance from you 
so you're not really invested in the start right at the start um and as i said this movie is artificial let's start with the key example of how artificial this movie is owen wilson does a southern accent in this movie and it's not his own southern accent it's the steve zissel show not the ned show yes i do Klaus. Well, if you ever touch me again, I will kick your goddamn teeth out. Is that understood? Not if I don't see you first, Sonny. Yeah, it was fake. Yeah. Yeah, because he does a Kentucky accent from this movie. But if you've, no if you've seen him in other movies, you'll notice he does a southern accent in those too. That's because he's from Dallas. I expect someone... So it just, it draws attention to, the, to it that it's like, he's doing a southern accent, but it's a different southern accent. That's irritating. Hmm. I want to point out, by the way, Wilson is very good in this movie. Yeah. Wilson is actually very good in this movie. His performance is unimpeachable. I'm not going to say anything bad about it, even though I do find the accent thing distracting. That's more on, uh, that's, that's on, that's on Anderson, not on Wilson. He's good in it. Um, by the way, it should be pointed out, this was the first movie that, uh, w that, uh, Anderson did without Wilson as his co-writer. Really? Oh, yeah, because he wrote, he co-wrote, uh, Bottle Rocket and, uh, uh, yeah, all three of those. Yeah, and I'm not, now I want to point out, I don't like Rushmore very much. I really don't like Rushmore very much. It just wasn't for me. Though I did like Max Fisher. I thought he was a great character. The problem is when the movie would get away from him. So yeah, so I found, so as I said, there's that artifice thing going on. Kate Blanchett. Oh boy. Let me, let me, let me get that, let me get that complaint out of the way. Um, let's be clear. She was not the original choice for this movie. Oh, who, who was? Did you notice that her character's name was, it's Jane Winslet something? It was supposed to be Kate Winslet. Ah. Uh. And for whatever reason that fell apart. Maybe Winslet didn't want, I don't know. But and Anderson went to... Uh, several actresses um, were up for it, and Blanchett got it. Oh, God. Let me make this observation. I think only truly great actors can give performances as bad as the one that Blanchett gives in this movie. Mm. Because a bad actor will... They'll rein it in enough that they'll... You know, they won't go this over the top. The only way that I can describe the accent that Blanchett is doing in this movie is... Bubble from Absolutely Fabulous. And I realize that's a reference that nobody that is listening to this is going to get, but Amanda has been binging that show. <laughs> uh, I get it in that I've heard of the show. Okay, yeah, that's that's probably how this is going to go for most people. It's this very high-pitched, twittery, almost parody of a British person accent. And it's... Is it true that this is going to be your last voyage? Well, no comment. It's it's not. I don't even know that I'm blaming Blanchett so much for this as I am Anderson for not stepping in and saying, "Hey, don't do this," because this is a really because I really tend to think that when an actor gives a performance like this, and I know they can do better, it's really on the director to have not stepped in and said, "Hey, don't do this." Right. Her performance in this movie is entirely artificial. It's entirely... I'm constantly... I'm constantly having attention called to the fact that this is... You know, I know this isn't her natural accent because I've seen her in a billion things. 
I, I know that she can do restrained. I've seen Carol, which is so great. By the way, Carol is a movie that when I first watched it, I didn't like it very much and kind of complained about it for a day or two. Then I then I stopped, I revisited it because it was staying on my mind, and I realized I, I actually thought it was brilliant. I just didn't I needed a time to process it. I, I, I gave it a four out I gave it a four point five out of five on Letterboxd ultimately and even talked about it. The fact that the fact that I can recall that movie frame for frame in my head tells me it stuck with me. And I don't know, maybe if you come back to me in a week on this movie, I may have a different opinion on it. I don't think so, though. Because really, I was bugged by a lot of this movie. But as I said, Blanchett's performance, and her character ultimately doesn't serve any real purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Upon thinking about it, yeah, I think you're right. She's kind of a love interest for... Uh, Wilson and Murray kind of seems interested in her, but not really. She's just kind of there. Um, she's pregnant in the movie, which, by the way, when they were fitting her for that prosthesis, she passed out. Really? She just, yeah, she passed out, and then she discovered she actually was pregnant. Oh, so they did not need a prosthesis on her. Well, they did because she wasn't, like, visibly pregnant yet. But there's that whole thing that's going through that movie where it's like she's reading Proust to the kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That's just so cloying. That's so irritating. That's just, it's so on the nose. And then you've got, then you've got, as I said, the sets are clearly sets. But you know, I don't really mind that. I mean, ships are fundamentally artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, Willem Dafoe's entire performance it's an interesting idea for a character, the idea that he looks up to Zisu as sort of a father figure. But at the same time, we also look at it and we're like, but Defoe is only six years younger than Murray. Is he really? Yeah, he's only like six years younger than, than Bill Murray. I don't know if I like or or hate Defoe's performance in this movie. I actually don't know. Yeah, he... Uh, he yeah, he... Uh, his character was kind of an over-the-top portrayal... Uh, so it was kind of one of those things where it's almost negligible. It's more comic relief, actually. Yeah, and and in all fairness, uh, Defoe is great at comic relief. Yeah, yeah. He's he's wonderful at it. Um, just look at the Spider Man. Just look at Spider Man. <laughs> yes, I'm actually only half kidding. He is fun, and he is fun as hell as Green Goblin in that movie. He is. He is. He is an. He is an amazing Norman Osborn. I. I mean, and Defoe is one of those actors. I love watching him anyway. I'm always glad to see him and stuff. Yeah, he's just so wonderfully weird and funny and out there. So I, I don't really have that much complaints. I'm glad that the first Spider-Man movies we got were Sam Raimi, because uh, I I think that honestly he was the perfect director for Spy for that material. I also love that we got such intensely Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Like, you watch those movies. The first two movies are everything that he does right. The third one is what you is what he does wrong. Even in that one, though, you do have, in, like, if you zoom in on moments, uh, they're great. Like, uh, like there's there are some bits with the Sandman that are good. Like, just the black suit Peter Parker bits, if you remove them from the movie, they're wonderfully silly. Yeah, remove. Yeah, the emo Parker stuff is hysterical. So, and the movie knows it, and uh, like so much so that it's used that a lot of those scenes are used as internet memes. That people are like, 
this was bad. And I'm like, no, no, you're reacting to it exactly the way that Raimi intended you to. And let's not forget, Venom looks perfect. It does. In the 10 seconds that he's on screen. Exactly. Like, he's under you. And, yeah, Sam Raimi notoriously uh, was not a fan of Venom. Uh, hence why he minimized him and, you know, made most of it, like, peeling back the face and revealing... Topher Grace. Topher Grace, yeah. And boy, boy, did his career disappear. Funny, who would who would have guessed who who would have guessed that it would that would turn out to be Jackie from that '70s show that would have the best career ultimately? I know. Oh my god! From all accounts, I could... maybe maybe because she was the best actor on the show ultimately. Yeah, and by all accounts, she's a wonderful person. Yeah, but well, I mean, by all accounts, I mean, well, look at it this way: she's married to a guy that she's known since she was fourteen. So, right. oh, did she marry Kelso? She yes yes Jackie and Kelso are married in real life yes that's wonderful yeah she and Ashton Kutcher have two kids yeah by all accounts they're very happy nice um, and yeah but yeah I mean yeah believe me by the way just just a, a heads up for people looking at ahead to future episodes next year we are definitely going to be covering uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall big yes. time yes 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 we are so covering that for its tenth but anyway getting back to this movie let's get back on topic yeah yeah. I just, there really is something about, uh, there is that, 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 you know, the cast, again, it's a good cast. I'm not going to say it's not a good cast. Um, since I've been hard on Bill Murray in the past, let me point out, he's great in this movie. This might be the second best thing I've ever seen him do as an actor. Really, this might be the second best performance I've ever seen him give. Um, he is amazing in this movie. Honestly, he might even be a tiny bit better than he is in Lost in Translation because he gets more dialogue in this movie. And he does tear into it. Murray is great in this movie. I think some of his real life darkness bled into this movie. Um, I think I think he puts a lot of himself in it, and it does show. Uh, Murray and Anderson famously have one of the great working relationships in the business today. They they do get along. They do work well together. Oh yeah, he's he's been in every movie uh, that he's done, at least in some part. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good connection. Um, but anyway. But getting to things I don't like about this movie, as I said, the pacing is all wrong. It's just, I'm going to say this, and I hate to say this because I love Henry Selleck. Man, I did not, the stop motion did, took me right out of the movie. Oh, that was... The stop motion stuff took me. That was me. Henry Selleck? That was Henry Selleck. Yeah, that was Henry Selleck's work. Which is cool, but it takes me straight out of the movie because it... Here's the thing about stop motion next to real life footage. It doesn't look cool. It looks creepy and unsettling. Yeah. That scene with the crabs actually really made me physically uncomfortable. Really? With the sugar crabs? Yeah, that made me physically nauseated <laughs> because it looks wrong. Yeah, stop motion does not look right in real life context. It's That's why it's often used for horror context. Right, right, right. Yeah, the original, uh, start, like in the 80s, they used uh, stop motion for everything. For, like, almost every creature effect. But it worked because those were creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this stop motion didn't bother me so much just because of the artifice of the of the movie, like, of everything. One of the things I liked about all the creatures is that they were all fictional. Uh, which yeah, and that's contributes. cool and all, yeah. but... But you were not a fan. I don't... No, it just, it took me out. It was, it unsettled me. However, it did give Henry Selleck work until Coraline, so, you know, there's that. True. I, I was 
glad for that. Now it would be great if he could make another movie after Coraline. Yeah, he hasn't done anything since. Nope, he ah, has not. Sucks. Guys, we're wasting Henry Selleck. When, when, when his career is over, we're going to realize we wasted a real talent. I just, I don't know, that that bugged me. I, now, the score is fine, the music is fine. Okay, I want to make something clear. I said yesterday that I hated this movie, and that's not really true. I didn't really hate it. I hated Heart, Heart of the Country. I hated God's Not Dead, too. This movie just bugged me. Right. Again, I think really, really, I think so many of my problems come back down to the, the fact that it's paced like a glacier, and again, everything is so loud. Uh, there's Michael Gambon, his performance in the movie is just, it's like, okay, why are you here? Why are you here? You're just, you're just, you're just too loud. Yeah, he, he, he does his Dumbledore. He does his Dumbledore. Um, and I love Gambon. He's, I usually like him and stuff. He's just miscast here. Yeah. He's miscast. Bud Court. I don't know. Bud Court is kind of the overall tone of the film. I, (laughs) I don't even I don't even know if I like or dislike that he's in it, but really so many of my problems come back to the script. They come back to the script. I want to point out, by the way, you you know from the moment that um Owen Wilson sets foot on screen, he's not his son. The movie constantly is telling you. Every line that Angelica Houston has in this movie is basically her saying, You know I know he's not your son. Right. And it's like but then but then the movie comes back around and we get that scene where she makes the big reveal. God, I'm so conflicted on this character because on one hand, it's kind of astonishing how much sex appeal Angelica Houston radiated in this movie. That's a weird thing to say, but I'm going to be blunt. Like, my God, she was just she was just in... You know what it was, though? She was in full, full Morticia Adams mode in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she kind of was, wasn't she? My God, she's hitting that note just so hard. And look, I love Houston. And as I said, I'm not going to say it didn't do it for me. Of course it did. But my God, it's irritating that she's hitting this note. And again, that kind of took me out of the movie because it's like I'm thinking about other things. I just, again, her character, every line that she has, there's no sense of reality to this character. There's no sense of reality to any of these characters. That's what bugs me about this movie. And I want to point out another person who I'm going to kind of give some of the blame to, because to, I've now seen a couple of movies by this guy. Noah Baumbach, I'm just not a fan of. Um, what else I watched Greenberg. he done? He did Greenberg, which I watched when I went on uh, War Machine Horses cast. I didn't like Noah. I did not like Greenberg very much in the final verdict of things. I was mixed on it when I watched it, but I, I ultimately do not like that movie. Um, and it's the same thing. It's the same pacing. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've ever seen anything of it. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. Ben Stiller was in it. It's, it's... Aside from Greta Gerwig being way too good for that movie, which, given that she then became Bombach's muse and they made a bunch of movies together, maybe I should watch these stuff they did together where she gets the focus because she's such a... I don't know, she was unfairly a lightning bolt of energy in that movie. Ugh, this movie. This, but but as I said, Bombach, it's the same arch style. It's the same calling attention to itself style. I don't know. I just don't know that I found the idea of a Jacques Cousteau parody all that funny, to be honest. Yeah. But as I said, I just, I don't know. Because I guess that's such a specific thing. 
I'd rather watch some footage of Cousteau if I was going to do anything. I, right. I don't know that a parody is that funny to me. And that may be part of the problem is Cousteau is of a generation above me. By the way, the movie does the celebrity paradox thing where this movie is making fun of Cousteau, but it references him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a parody of him, but at the same time, he exists within that universe. You know what that is? That's that's called calling off the lawyers. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of the same thing, sort of, sort of, kind of, not really, that they did with the Beatles and uh, uh, that thing you do. But in that case, it's really, they were big at the time, and everybody was comparing everybody to the Beatles thing is the wonders in that movie were an amalgamation of like 60 different one-hit wonder groups true the beatles were not one-hit wonders no they were several <laughs> like <laughs> they were career hit wonders yeah yeah let's, let's let's do an understatement here and point out that the beatles weren't the beatles weren't 40 hit wonders <laughs> pretty much so that's kind of i don't know this is my again I just, there's so many nitpicks that I have with this movie, and that's what it comes down to. It's a movie of small things. I will say, I liked Jeff Goldblum in it, but I found the entire running joke that he's a little bit gay. Uh, that's not aging well. That ain't aging well at all. Though it does have a nice payoff when Goldblum says, you know, because the whole joke is that he's Houston's ex-husband as well. Right. And he does say the reason the relationship didn't work out is he's a little bit gay. No, no, no. I will say, Goldblum is always great in a movie. I'm always glad when he shows up in a movie. Yeah, I can't wait to see him in Thor 3. Oh, man. He has made it clear that he had an ungodly blast making that movie. By the way, is it my imagination? Did you catch him in Guardians of the Galaxy 2? That's him. That's him. That was just as a joke. They Just as a joke, they throw him in on the end credits because it was like, well, we're doing a goofy thing of everybody dancing, so what the hell? Let's get Goldblum dancing. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Like, I knew I wasn't just imagining it. <laughs> no, that's that's him. That's him. Cool. Um, I, man, I, I, I'm looking forward to him in that. He, he, you know, if there's any actor in this movie, ironically, that I think hits the reality that this movie lacks... It's that Goldblum did seem fairly grounded, and that's funny because he always always comes off as awkward and out of place, but I feel like in this movie he did feel right and alive. I don't know, I just like seeing him. The thing is, I, I love Goldblum. I'm so excited by the way, you know he's going to be in Jurassic World too. I know, yeah. Good. Yeah, he, he's, coming back to, he's coming back to Jurassic Park, um, which makes me happy because frankly the Jurassic Park universe has been missing without... Uh, Ian Malcolm being back. Yes, I. You you've seen Jurassic World, right? Yeah, I did. I I liked it. I yeah. thought it was a lot of fun. I did too. It's I, it's also one I that we failed to bring up in the problematic cast because I think it is problematic, definitely. But oh, the the murder of that one <sighs> girl, where it's like, it's yeah, like she's done nothing wrong in the movie except look at her phone. So she gets brutally murdered by a dino by a group of dinosaurs. I agree. That and it's was the most graphic, violent murder. What the hell? That movie really kind of has a problem with women in general. How dare? Yeah, everything about Bryce Dallas Howard's yeah. character was awful. How fucking dare she have a career? Yeah, it's like it's like no, no. Especially because when you look back at the original Jurassic Park and how it handled it. When it's like there's the moment where uh, 
where uh, Hammond is trying to be chivalrous, and she's like, "Look, we'll talk about this later." Exactly. Because, I love that. Because because she really can kick ass. Um, you know, at some point we do need to stop and look at women in Spielberg's movies because there's an interesting thread there. I'm just gonna say. Interesting. Yes, we do. Because um, come to think about it, a woman saves the day in Minority in Minority Report. True. True. That's true. A woman uh, cracks everything in that. Yeah, I never realized that, but you're right. There is a thread there. But yeah, I uh, just one more tangent. It's like my mother is a career woman. Like she, like she, you know, she's made kind of a name for herself in her career, and I have a great relationship with her. <laughs> yeah, my mother was named Teacher of the Year for the Little Rock School District. Uh, now I know teacher is a is a is a quote unquote acceptable career for women. Yeah, but still. But anyway, I mean, yeah, that that is kind of that is kind of a bug bugbear about that movie. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, but other otherwise, it was fantastic. Yeah. It works. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah, I don't know. Now that I think about it, that's kind of a big otherwise. Uh, but anyway, this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I just this movie just it didn't work for me, and that may be kind of my general problem with this movie is this movie was never going to work for me if I'm honest, because it does because it's not the kind of movie I like. I I like my movies more grounded. I like them more realistic. My favorite movie, my, you know, one of my favorite movies from 2004 that everybody hates is Closer. Because it's a really grounded set of conversations. But, okay, there's actually a connection between these two movies. Kate uh, Blanchett was supposed to have been in that movie. And the pregnancy kept her out. Ha! <laughs> So she got replaced with uh, Julia Roberts, who then went on to give, in my opinion, the best performance she's ever given as an actress. So that's that's one you need to seek out. Uh, Julia Roberts, Natalie Portman, Clive Owen, and Jude Law. All four giving just career turns. But as I said, wow, this is the kind of movie I'm not prone to liking. I like my movies more slice of life. I like them more grounded. Um, even my fantasy... I like to have an element of that. Uh, which probably is a fundamental difference between uh, our tastes. Like, that's probably the one difference is I, I I like grounded stuff. Like, it's grounded stuff is great. It makes you feel. It makes you, like, it's... Yeah, but I also like more Flights of Fancy, where it's just not utter nonsense. And this movie... Like, I'll tell you an example of a movie that I hate that a lot of people love. Guys, I'm gonna take some. I'm gonna, I'm ready for the fire to come at me. I hate Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> See, there you go. Now you know that I was just thinking of Monty Python when I when I said that too. Yeah, I kind of thought so. Here's the thing. I love Monty Python. Let's be clear. I do. I've got the. Con I, you know, I've got. I was. You were actually with me when I bought at least one of the books of the scripts. Yeah, the uh, the complete Monty Python. Yeah. yeah, you were with me at that bookstore when I bought that book. But here's the thing. Yeah, I I I, bu I bought those books too on the same trip. Yeah. Oh no, it was you that bought them on that trip. I. It was me that yeah, bought it was them. You, yes. See? So I I have the and I mentioned that I have those books. But what I don't like about that movie is that it is so disconnected and random and nonsensical. Whereas that works great on sketches, and that's just it. Yeah. They. They notoriously didn't have an ending for that film, which is why that film ends that way. And that's just it. This movie is kind of a similar situation. Where 
it doesn't feel like there really was much of a script going in. It does feel like there's a lot of random, rambling nonsense. And what bothers me is that there are places where I can see that there are real ideas being played with here. Everything with the idea that Blanchette's character, she's expecting a child, but the father is married to another woman. Okay, I there's some real truth there, and the movie never the movie never resolves that. There's never an ending. But 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 that said, let's talk about the ending of this movie because we haven't hit on that, and that's a sequence that I really have like I have like ten minutes of thoughts on that sequence because that ending sequence actually does really work for me. It really does. When they find the shark, it's beautiful. It's majestic. And Wes Anderson cheated like a mother to get that out of me. Let's be clear. Wes Anderson cheated me to get that sequence to work for me. Now, as it is, as it's written and filmed, it is actually a lovely scene. But it really made me feel something. And why did it make me feel something? Well, let's talk about the music in that scene, because that's not Mark Mothersbaugh. That is the song Starofor by the band Sigur Rós, Icelandic. It is one of my favorite songs of all time. When I say that that's one of my favorite songs, that's not like a, oh, it's a song that I like and I'm excited that it's in it. No, it's beautiful. And I love that song. Wes Anderson uses it in this scene. Uh, that's the, the other thing uh, about that score that I like, just to aside, is, you know, Mark Mothersbaugh uh, was a good choice. Hello, Lola. Uh, it was a good choice because, you know, a lot of the music, or of course the music uh, uh, for Sisu's films are on the spot, so of course they're keyboard and they're fakey, and they have that, uh, wouldn't that do 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 which I think is an awesome riff. That song is so important to me. And it's a song that I knew. Let's see, this movie came out in 2004. I would have known that song for a good two years before that movie came, if I'd seen it in 2004. I would have known it for two years because, again, that's a song that I know. That's that's like, that's an important song to me. Um, I... I mean, I think of so many, like, I have so many emotional images associated with that song. So, yeah, Anderson gets a strong emotion from me, but he kind of cheats. And, and, yeah, again, I think it's one of the greatest compositions ever. It's just, it's pure beauty. It's pure life. It's so gorgeous. But, yeah, that's, when you said that, yeah. Uh... We were in a conversation last night when you said that. It's like, that's funny because that was Todd's comment too, was it got to the end. He's like, why am I feeling emotional for this? Uh, for this? I hated this movie. It's like, and you, you pinpointed it. It's that song. I want to like this movie. I would have loved to have liked this movie. I really would have. And I hate that I didn't. I, I kind of hate that I didn't because so many people do love this movie passionately. Mm-hmm. And, I you, felt and you cannot join those ranks. I can't. Wes Anderson is a... Wes Anderson joins the ranks of things like red wine for me. I know other people love it. I just don't. You just can't get into it. It's not my taste. I, you know, 
Good on you if you do. It ain't for me. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And honestly, I would still recommend the movie for that reason. Because I'm recognizing that it is a technically well-made movie. Um, by the way, one thing we, we should talk about really quickly is how making this movie uh, impacted Anderson's career. Yeah. Oh, uh, before you get into that, one, uh, also one of the things I really love about this is the ending, uh, the ending song, uh, David, David Bowie's Queen Bitch. Uh, I just think that's such an epic and amazing song, and I love the ending credit sequence in this for that song. And, and I do, I do love the Bowie music. I mean, of course, like anybody whose taste is functioning, I love Bowie, uh, I'm I'm honestly kind of I'm I'm honestly kind of judgmental of people who don't. I mean, David <laughs> Bowie's music was incredible. Uh, there's there's nothing more to be said. And again, that might be kind of something that bugs me a little bit about this movie is that what works for me about it is what Anderson stole from other sources. That may be kind of why Anderson bugs me is I don't think he brings anything individually. Well, the same the same could well I guess that's not true. Uh, I was going to say the same could be said for Tarantino, but he actually does work uh, other people's stuff into something original. The thing is, Tarantino at this point is such a distinctive, unique voice of his own, even with all the stuff that he lifts from other people, that you know a Tarantino film, even if it's got no references to anything else, because you know Tarantino. You know his style, you know his voice. Yeah, the closest to that uh, would be Jackie Brown. The closest to, well, even then, that's referencing black exploitation films, but it's and it's based on a um, and it's based on an Elmore Leonard novel. Yes, that's a direct adaptation, and that movie really does feel like Elmore Leonard. Well, Leonard's actually very filmic. Leonard's pretty easy to film. He's been filmed multiple times, and it usually works because Leonard works really great on film. Uh, we just covered Out of Sight, which really does stay pretty close to that book. Um, I don't know. This movie, it wasn't for me. And I'm I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry it wasn't for me. I Maybe it will be for you. Um, I, I do want to note, but it did. Now, I do want to point out for people that aren't familiar, this movie actually changed Anderson's public perception greatly because of one thing that happened as a result of it. What, now, first of all, should we know the film... The film wasn't a success, but because Hollywood is Hollywood, Anderson wasn't allowed to keep working. Uh, he went and made the Darjeeling Limited, which a lot of people really liked. I haven't seen it. I like it. I th it's probably one of his lesser films for me, but that's not saying much because I'm a huge Chris Anderson fan, so I like all his films. It was seen by a lot of people as a course correction for him. If this was... A lot of people saw it as him getting a little bit back to more serious... Um, then after that, there was, let's see, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, which, uh, and Fantastic Mr. Fox, which we've mentioned. And then he had Grand Budapest Hotel, which was extremely successful on all fronts. Critically beloved, widely thought came within spitting distance of a few Oscars. It didn't win as many as it was predicted to. Some people think this was his closest shot at the Oscars. Um, I, but unfortunately that was the year of Boyhood and, uh, Birdman. <laughs> And, and Whiplash. That was a great year and for Whiplash. film. Man, that was a really good year for film. Um, so, Anderson 
you know, and then he's got Isle of Dogs is coming, and that seems to be looking like it's going to do well, though. That's animated. I, apparently it's set in China. No, they're animated. It's animated. It's set in... And I, I, that's good. I hope he keeps doing those. Although, apparently it's set in China with next to no Chinese voice actors. So. Oh, Wes. Just, just going to give a stare at that. Just going to give a stare. Well, let's talk about the commercial, because the commercial is kind of a miniature work of art. It is. I love the commercial. The uh, Was it MasterCard? It was American Express. He did a he did a commercial which he directed himself, of course. Uh, he put in his own people for it, and the idea was how do artists use American Express? Right. Yeah that that was that was part of a series because they had different directors take on uh, American Express commercials. It is the most Wes Anderson thing imaginable, and it might be my favorite thing he's ever done. Because that, in microcosm, that works perfect. Um, for, but here's the big way that that changed everything for Anderson. Now, oh, by the way, of course, it should, I have to point out, the commercial did, of course, have a Jason Schwartzman cameo. Credit due, he's never forgotten Max Fisher. He has never forgotten. In fact, I think Schwartzman co-wrote Darjeeling Limited, actually. Yeah, him. I think you're correct. Like yeah, like, they've stayed collaborators because I love Jason Schwartzman. Um, if we ever do cover, if we ever do cover I Heart Huckabees, how much I dislike that movie is going to actually make me sad because I actually think he's fine in it. I think he gives good performance. I honestly think his most perfect casting was Gideon Graves. But anyway, let's talk about what was really interesting about this commercial. Because Anderson was working on this movie and it kept him outdoors for much of the movie, it kept him, he changed up his style. Previously, he'd been very much a nerdy, geeky-looking guy, but he got in shape while working on the movie. He got tan while working on the movie. He got outdoorsy. He started dressing better. He went to contacts. The point is, the American Express commercial made Wes Anderson a sex symbol for a certain group of women. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That really happened. That really happened. You can go back. There were pages on the internet of women just drooling over him because of this. And he was a good look. He was a good-looking guy at that point. Now, there's no denying that. Uh, but that's just kind of a funny little side story as a result of what making this movie happened. Uh, it was just funny. Um, again, my final thoughts on this movie are: I didn't like it at all, but you might. This some movies you're just allergic to. As I said, this is my red wine. This is my red wine of cinema because I don't like red wine at all. That's what this is for me. Yeah, yeah. And for and for me, you know, I love Wes Anderson so much that uh uh when I meet somebody who I potentially am going to date or ask out, uh that's one of my tests whether she likes Wes Anderson or not. Amanda hates him. Yeah. <laughs> well there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's a good test. That's just uh, that's just kind of a universal test, isn't it? <laughs> next up. Next up, next up, we went from a movie that I haven't seen to a movie you haven't seen, and you're gonna have to watch this one fast. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, and we're gonna and uh, we're gonna record again on Sunday morning. Next up for us, we're looking at the 1995 movie Clueless. Oh yes, that's right. Okay, we have a very very special guest on this next one. Uh, Hillary Downey, aka Hillary Shin, will be uh, our guest. Uh, that's right. We've had ne we've, we've had my brother on here. My sister is joining us to discuss this movie because it's one of her favorites. And I'm not going to lie. This is a movie that I have a lot of love for. 
you may hate it. You may hate it. But I kind of highly... <laughs> Once again, you say that. <laughs> I kind of highly... Actually, I kind of highly doubt you will. I think you're kind of going to love this movie. Yeah, yeah. We are going to look at Clueless. We're going to look at everything 90s about it. We're going to look at everything timeless about it. And Clueless is based on a Jane Austen novel, correct? Which ironically made it very 90s. Um, ironically, it was during a big Jane Austen boom. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about that, this one. This is what I'm really looking forward to getting into. And I like Jane Austen, um, so definitely. Then you're probably going to then you're probably gonna really enjoy this, because it's pretty much Emma. That's what's next for us. Um, and guys, we've got a lot going on, so you can find us at thefilmroom.org. Till next time. Till next time. Later. Tenho certeza, nega, que você vai adorar nosso terreno. Tem tudo pra ficar grande, mas vamos devagar começar pequeno. As frutas no pomar, criançada brincar com você. E a gente sempre esperando a cegonha trazer nosso novo bebê. Porque eu quero viajar, eu quero sair. Sair daqui, vou comemorar quando eu conseguir. Eu quero mudar, mudar com você, mudar com você. Segunda, não vou trabalhar. Quero subir pra conferir. Eu tô querendo Vamos envelhecer juntos no nosso terreno.